got me on? Seems like it was about a week and a half ago that Pastor Larry said, you know, my, my dad is struggling. It may have been a little bit longer than that, but you have to have a sermon in your hip pocket, is what he said to me. Um, the only challenge is I've been, I'm preaching next week, so I'm, I was working on that sermon. And uh, last night, uh, during, we were at the Frequency Conference, about almost close to 30 of us. We, were at, we had a great time, by the way. The Lord was powerful. Yes, yes. So the weekend is completely full, and uh, we're, we're going out. I'm out for my wife and I, and we were with the drones last night for dinner. I just sent a quick text. Because right, right, right during the conference, Pastor Larry calls me out of one of the sessions and says, my dad, I got to go down. To, I, gotta, I have to go down to Maryland. My dad's going to have surgery. So he's, he's like, here's the moment. <laughs> um, and so we were having dinner last night. I just, he said, you know, I may be back for the sermon. I may come back. And I, I just texted him at dinner last night, somewhere around 6 o'clock or whatever. He goes, nope, I'm not coming back. So I, it's funny because um, we've had a, we had a couple of these moments. I've been, you know, in my 27 years. There are a couple of moments where I thought I had to take over for Pastor John. It's kind of like you know this moment is coming. You just don't kind of know when it's going to happen. Well, here it is. So do you wonder what pastors do in this situation? You go back, you start looking through your old sermons, and uh, you just pick a sermon, and we're going to trust that God has something to say to us today. Before the sermon, a couple announcements. Uh, as you probably see, there's a lot of activity downstairs. The after-school program's luncheon and silent auction is today right after, after the service in Fellowship Hall. It's uh, $10 per person, 24 families. So we want to encourage you to come and support that. It's always a great time. You're going to hear all kinds of things that's going on with the after-school program. Uh, we have prayer and praise night this coming Friday from 7 to 9. Uh, so put that on your schedule. And don't forget to keep bringing your items for our Thanksgiving baskets of blessing or outreach. Uh, you, I'm sure you see the box downstairs. Next week's item is a box of stuffing and or sweet potatoes. Okay? Thank you so much for your generosity already. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate the encouragement. Uh, let's turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, uh, you tell us to be ready in season and out of season. To always be able to proclaim the work that you've done in our hearts. So I simply ask that you would work. That you would work in my heart right now. That you would give me the power of your Holy Spirit, that I would not focus, it'd be too easy for me to kind of focus my, uh, on myself, wonder if I'm doing okay in this situation. I just pray that you would turn my heart away from myself, turn it upon you and your people here in this church. Fill this place with your very presence and speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage I chose... Um, is Luke 14. Uh, we were in Luke, which we were preaching on Luke, what seemed forever. <laughs> I think it was uh, Matt Franchetti said, we preached longer in the book of Luke than the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And uh, you can always count on Matt Franchetti for a quick-witted response. Um, but we're coming back. Luke 14, verses 11 through 24. So open in your scriptures or your Bible devices on your phones. Hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and 
those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your, fr- your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. Come back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will taste of my banquet. The word of the Lord. So my basic outline for the day is the, the first point I'm going to make is we're going to talk about the upside-down banquet, which represents the new heaven and the new earth. And then we're going to talk about the upside-down guests who were invited to that banquet. And then finally, we're going to talk about our upside-down Messiah. The, the basic thing that I see through this scripture, and as I think about it, is how God shocks us. He, he shocked me today, I can tell you that. In fact, I'm right here. Um, in chapter 14, Luke tells... Luke returns to one of his favorite themes, the great reversal taking place in this world. Verse 11, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is an excellent summary of the gospel, the gospel being that great news that Jesus has come to save those who cannot save themselves. If you come into God's presence exalting yourself, saying to him, I'm pretty good. I think I've done more good than bad. I deserve to be in your heaven. Jesus will say to you, I don't even know who you are. But if you come into God with humility saying, Lord, I have sinned in my life, and because of that sin I deserve to die, you have every right to be a severe judge over me, but by your mercy, look at me through the cross of Jesus Christ. If you do that, you will be exalted in heaven. In the beginning of chapter 14, we learn that Jesus is invited to the home of a prominent Pharisee, a wealthy and powerful Jewish leader of the time. Many commentators believe this man was a patron. Patrons in the ancient Near Eastern world were rich people who gave their money to help other people in society, mainly those of a lower economic place in in society. They were helping them get up the economic ladder In return for the giving of their money and their favors, they expected something in return. They expected loyalty. They expected favors back. And one of the best ways to make all of this system work in that society was for a rich patron to throw a party. At that party, people could interact with him and each other, and everybody would benefit. Does that sound familiar? 
That is the way the world has been going around forever and ever. Just think for a moment when you go to a party. Let's even make it just a little bit more personal. How about 10.30 coffee time downstairs? Are you looking beyond people? You know, you know what that feels like, right? We've all had it happen. People, somebody's talking to you, and they're looking beyond you. You know they're, they're kind of insulting, right? Am I not exciting enough to keep your attention? Are you looking around for somebody who can give you something better? Now, I know I have done that. We've all done that, right? That is the way of, of society. It's just not the way Jesus the upside-down banquet as Jesus was invited to this party. And in typical fashion, uh, fashion, he upsets the system. He refuses to follow the social norms. He refuses to obey the rules of the party. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? He tells the host, the rich patron, instead of inviting people to the party who can return the favor, you should have invited the poor, the crippled, and the lame, people who cannot pay you back. If he does so, then his reward will be great in heaven. In essence, he is telling everyone at the party how the kingdom of God really works. The kingdom of God, everything is upside down compared to normal society. In God's kingdom, the rich give expensive banquets for the poor in order that they may understand God's own heart. In order that they may understand the real currency of God's heaven, of God's kingdom, which is love. At this very moment, in response to Jesus' remarks, a guest speaks up and he says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It is a strange remark. Because it's obvious that man didn't hear a word that Jesus just said. Basically, the man was saying, Blessed are those who eat the feast in heaven, namely me. He is stating nothing more than the basic beliefs of our society, of that society. Rich, powerful men like himself are blessed. They are the ones who get to go to heaven. Now Jesus, at that moment, repeats his ideas, this time in a parable. Parables. It's significant that he tells a parable at that moment. Because the parables are Jesus' way of hiding the truth from those who are too blind to see and too dull to hear. And the only way you ever get to understand a parable is to come to Jesus. His disciples are always constantly doing this. You tell us this parable, what did you mean by that? And then he tells them. To understand a parable, you have to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he's doing something very significant here. And in this parable, he will reveal the upside-down guests who will get to really come to the party. These types of parties were elaborate affairs, and they involved two invitations. The first invitation was similar to the ones that we send out for weddings. The host basically wants to know how many people are going to come so he can make enough food for everybody, right? That's how it works. But then in that society, there was a second invitation that went out the day of the party, the day of the banquet. He said, that second invitation is basically saying, the food's ready. Come on in. It's time to party. 
in the, in the parable, though, when the second round of invitations go out, that's when the rejections start coming in. And it's, it's a really interesting twist on the story because the people must have, they must have said yes to the first invitation. And then the second invitation comes out, and they start saying no. They start giving their excuses. The excuses that people give are amazing. They're as amazing as they are foolish. The first person says, I just bought a field, and I must go see it. Who buys real estate? And doesn't see it. I was a real estate agent for 12 years. Do you know how many times people came to me and said, you know that property at the corner of such and such street? I want to buy it. Well, did you see it? No, I just want to buy it. Do you know how many times that happened in 12 years? Zero. Zero. It would be silly. It would be potentially costly. A second excuse follows along the same lines. I bought five oxen, and I have, I have to go and try them out. That would be like one of us going to the corner. You know these used car lots that are on the corners in every community? You know, the, we have one in our community at Fifth and Godfrey, used cars. Amy's, where Amy works is one right across the street. You know which ones, right? It would be the equivalent of us going and buying a car and not even trying test driving that car. You see how foolish that is, right? It's just, they're making up excuses. They're not, they don't want to be there. And then the last person says, I just got married, therefore I can't come. Now that one seems pretty legitimate. The only problem is he had to say yes to the first invitation. He had to. And now he's like, nope, can't be there. And Jesus, in classic Jesus fashion, is challenging the assumptions of the man. Now, remember, this is all in response to the man who said, blessed is he who will be in the banquet of the, in heaven. He's challenging this man's assumptions. He's basically saying to the man, you think you will be in the final banquet in heaven, and certainly you will get an invitation, but you will be too foolish to accept it. The man re- represents all the religious elite who are already rejecting Jesus. Because of their religious bias, they can't see he is the Messiah. Right in their midst, the servant who is in charge of inviting people to God's banquet. Now, to add insult to injury, Jesus starts talking about the upside-down guests who actually get to come to the party. In the story, the master throwing the party is so angry that he commands his servant to go out into the streets and the alleys and to bring in the poor. Streets and alleys reveals that these are the urban poor. They're brought in, but there's still room, so the master now says, sends his servant to the roads and the country lanes. This represents the rural poor in that society. These were the bandits and the criminals, a more desperate group of poor than those in the city. It makes sense the country. In the country, there's less people. There's less people to help out the poor. Think for a second of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Where did he get robbed? On the road to Jericho, outside of Jerusalem. It was a dangerous place because the poor there were more desperate. Bring them in to the banquet, Jesus Christ says. And now Jesus, in the telling of this story, he's 
he says something that is truly amazing. The master tells the servant to compel these rural poor to come to the banquet. He says, force them to come to my party, argue with them until they get in. It's like, it would be like Bill Gates. Bill Gates is no longer the richest man in the world, I don't think. But my guess is he still has a lot of money. This would be like Bill Gates deciding to throw a party, but being rejected by everyone who's invited. So he decides to send his people and his company out to the rural poor of the Appalachian Mountains. Imagine the exchange of words. Gates people arrive at the doorstep of some shack and simply say, Bill Gates has invited you to a big party in Seattle. We want you to jump in this black van. We're going to take you to the airport. We're going to get you in an airplane, and we're going to take you to the party. What do you, Yeah, right. I was going to say, what do you think the response would be? Yeah, right. Or... Ah, sure. Don't worry about the van or the plane. I'm just going to sprout fairy wings, and I'll get there on my own. They would be, it would just seem unreal to them. It would, it would just seem like, okay, somebody is pulling my leg. Somebody's had, some, somebody must have gone a long way because they purchased a van that's right outside of my house. It just, it would have been shocking to them. And they would have said No. And then Bill Gates, the people he sends, would have to compel them. He would probably have to rent out a militia and get them there by gunpoint. It's, it just would be unbelievable. Jesus is the master storyteller. With this relatively short story, he has laid out some very clear points about his heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, the guests who get to come in and how they get there. Number one, heaven, here represented by the banquet, is not for the powerful or the exalted in society, those who are always jockeying with other people to get what they want. Number two, heaven is actually for the poor and the humble. And number three, the poor and humble don't get to heaven because they're poor and humble. Even the poor and and the lame, the blind, even they have to be argued into the banquet because they probably think the invitation is just simply too good to be true. This story and these truths are just so shocking. Do you get the fundamental point that Jesus is trying to make with us today? He is saying it should be a shock to your system that you get to go to heaven. It should be a shock that you are invited into the banquet. It is my hope that we, who have been Christians for a while, haven't got used to how shocking the gospel really is. Even criminals get to come. Look at those who get to come into heaven, the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. They don't go to the banquet on their own merit. They go by the merit of someone else. And that someone else is the one telling the story. It is Jesus. He is the upside-down Messiah, the humble servant, of God the Father. And he is right in the midst of that party. Amen? He is right in our midst today. This particular bank was put together by a wealthy patron, a Pharisee, who invited the social lead in order that they might have a venue to talk, to make their deals, to get along in society. 
here is Jesus pointing to the true patron of the universe, the God, their heavenly Father, who has all the riches of heaven at his disposal. He is not a patron like the rich people of the world. He's not interested in making deals in which people owe him something in return. His interest is a different kind of deal. His interest is in a transaction of sacrifice, of love, and peace. So in the greatest act of love and grace the world has ever known, God the Father sends his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to compel those who are both physically and spiritually poor into his banquet, his heaven, to be with him forever and ever. God knows that the religious elite won't accept that invitation because their foolish desires have made them blind. It's like when Paul says to Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. God also knows that the poor won't accept the invite. They simply won't believe it's true or legitimate. The difference is Jesus will compel them to come. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 28 makes God's reason clear. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. There will not be a single person who can come to Jesus and boast. No one can come to the Father and say, you have to let me in because of what I've done. God will not tolerate the rich. He will not tolerate them in his presence if they are exalting themselves. It's not impossible for the rich to be saved. All things are possible with God. It's just really, really hard. It's really, really hard if you live in this world and you feel comfortable by what society gives to you. But God can be gracious in all circumstances. You know, my excitement at being at New Life Church for so many years is this. God has given so many opportunities to humble ourselves before him as we look around and we see the challenges of our community. We must, by necessity, focus our attention on the power of God, upon Jesus, upon God's heavenly banquet. We must pay particular attention to those close to God's heart, the poor, the crippled, the blind. We must not allow ourselves to get lost in the seduction of the worldly party. It would be easy for any of us, I know it is for me at times, when we face the challenges of Omni or Logan or Feltonby, which are before us each and every day, it'd be easy to want a different place. In that moment, do we find ourselves longing for a different church or a different community? Maybe one that's a little bit more hip, a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more cool. Do we long for a different community that has those same traits? Do we ever desire to live in a more upscale neighborhood with trendy coffee shops and microbreweries and fine dining? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We were there this weekend. We were down in Center City, and we were fine dining. We had a nice meal together. That was, there's nothing wrong with that, except if it exposes our hearts. 
to what is true, what is really going on. We must never be like the people at the Pharisees' party, the social elite jockeying for position and then exalting themselves before the Lord God. Think of it. That man exalted himself before the Lord Jesus. Have mercy. They are so forced that they, they just go right up to him and say, I belong there. I belong to go. I, I'm, I'm, if you look at my life, I should be there. Assuming they'll get in because of their good fortune and their good works. No, we must be the humble and lowly people of Amen. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ, who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, you're, you're too silent for me right now. People, you're not thinking about the Eagles game, are you? I, no. You're too quiet. Yes, well, Zach, I appreciate that. My man is being honest right here. Remember Jesus at this point in the Gospel of Luke, he has already set his face towards Jerusalem, the place where prophets are killed. Jesus has already set his face towards the cross, towards his own death, And on the cross, Jesus, the richest man in the world, became poor for you and for me and anyone who would ever claim his name. Amen. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. Jesus gave up all of his social capital in order that we may have perfect standing before our God. It is an act so radical that I can hardly take it in. My basic question for all of us is, have we lost sight of the power of the gospel in our lives? I don't think so, but it's the right question to ask. Do we stand amazed today by what Christ has done for us? Or, as is often the case, have we heard about the death of Christ so many times that it no longer moves us? I hope not. I hope not. I don't think so. You can see where the Spirit is moving us. But it's easy to get seduced by this society that we live in as American citizens. I preached this sermon on August 2015 during our long series in the Book of Luke. I went to visit Dwight Coffey. That was when Dwight Coffey had his heart attack. And I went to visit him on a Wednesday. And if you remember, Dwight had a heart attack early on in a, on a, in a Wednesday morning. He didn't feel quite right, so he went into the hospital turned out one of his arteries are 100% blocked. At one point, he, was, he went unconscious, and the doctors had to shock him. He told me today three times to bring him back to life. And you praise God, he's still here. So obviously, the doctors did their job. They went in, they put a stent in, and, and our brother is with us, and we're so grateful. You know what he said to me? He said, I thought I was going to die. And I said to myself, if this is it, this is it. And I was at peace. 
I, I know Lucy's very thankful that he's, he's still with us. Dwight also said to me, I feel so alive, not only physically, but spiritually. Nothing like a heart attack puts your life into immediate focus. And I, during our coffee time today, I walked up to Dwight and I said, I'm going to be using this again. Are you, do you still feel that way? Do you still feel physically and spiritually excited? Or has, has time gone by and things come back into a lull? And he said, well, it's not quite like it was three years ago, but I, it has changed me. And every day, it's just, it's, it's fresh and new, and I see what life is really all about. Sometimes, because we as Americans live in this society, we need to be shocked back into life. If we're not excited by everything, I, if you and me, if we're not excited by everything we have just heard about the gospel, about this great banquet, heaven, then there is a simple answer. We are the Pharisees. you ever notice that Ameri- we as American Christians always put ourselves, when we hear the parable, or we hear the story, or we hear the scripture, we put ourselves in the place of the poor. And we rarely put ourselves in the place of the Pharisee. But one of the things we heard over the weekend is we often are the Pharisees. We are people, many of us, not all of us, but we, we know how this society works. When I give something to somebody, something comes back to me in return. I know how to navigate myself through this society. Lord, have mercy upon me. You know those paddles? You've seen it on TV over and over again. They they do this, and then bam, they shock it. Bam. Dwight Coffey was shocked, literally shocked back into life, not only physically but spiritually as well. When the society that we live in dulls us to the gospel, which it does, we need to be shocked back into life. Shocked back into life. Come, Holy Spirit, and shock us back into life. That we might not be dulled by this society. Instead, we may be invigorated by the Holy Spirit. Now, as one of your pastors, I don't have any problem with saying, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. But the thing that occurred to me is, Have I become too familiar to you? After 27 years, have I lost the ability to shock you? I hope not. What is one of the things, the first things that Pastor Larry did? He says, we're going to call you Pastor Tim. Not to exalt me, but to say, you know, you have put, you've been placed in this congregation for a reason. To shepherd these people just as Jesus has shepherded you today. Let us not become too familiar with each other. Let us realize that something else is going on by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is awakening this church. I remember somebody saying when we were, we were interviewing Pastor Larry and looking for other candidates that I've, 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 I went into a sleep. And Jesus is awaking us from that sleep. He's showing us once again what our mission is before us. He's saying, once again, go out into the streets of Olney every day. Go into Logan, into Feltonville, all the places that we live with fresh eyes to see. It's like the guy I meet the parents who always goes like this. He's showing us 
what is before you. Are you excited? Are you excited? Are you excited? People of God, are you excited by the vision and the mission that the Lord has given us? We have to be. We have to be. My desire for us at New Life is that we will feel alive spiritually every single day. When we wake up and we feel dull, preach the gospel to ourselves. And then go with fresh eyes to see who is before us that we may serve them as Jesus Christ has served us. And the only way we can do that is to consider our Savior Jesus, who for the joy set before him went to the cross to save us. Remember, we are the poor of the world, both spiritually and for some of us, literally. Without Christ, we are the criminals of the world with nothing to show, no good record to give him. And shockingly, surprisingly, Jesus gives us an invitation into his upside-down banquet. Accept it with gratitude. Give him praise today. Forget about whatever you have to do the rest of your day. We are about to go right back into worship and sing. Sing with all your heart to give glory to this God, this shocking Savior who loves us so much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... You have shocked us once again and brought us back into the deep awareness of what happened on the cross and this upside-down nature of your kingdom where the rich and the elite, they do not get in and the poor are compelled to come in. Thank you that all things are possible with you because you are a God of great grace. And you are able to save the rich and the poor and to bring all the people that you want into your bank. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sacrificing for us. Thank you for showing us the way of of true mission, which is to serve, which is to wash the feet of everybody that we see. We want to be just like you, Jesus. Make us that way. And now as we come to sing again, I pray that we would sing to give you great glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.